This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. If you have a Bible, open it with me to John chapter 6. If you don't, that's okay. We have some available in the pew racks in front of you. And if you're using one of those Bibles in the pews, it's page 891, page 891, John chapter 6. Now, if you attend here regularly, you know we've been going through the book of Colossians. We're going to break from that um, just for today, and we're going to look at one of the most famous miracles of Jesus. It's referred to as the feeding of the 5,000. We're going to see it was actually more like the feeding of the 20,000, it's 5,000 men, but altogether probably about 20,000 people. And we read about that in the sixth chapter of John. So if you find that, we're going to begin reading at verse 5. And so just follow along with me as I read. The Bible says that Jesus lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now, there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. It was great to hear from the, the coach uh, a while ago. And as a sports fan and as, as somebody who, who studies leadership, I've learned a lot from, from coaches. And when Vince Lombardi became the coach of the Green Bay Packers in 1959, Lombardi came in and he simplified the playbook. And he told his offense, he said, we're really not going to run that many plays, but the ones that we do run are going to be done with such a high level of precision and excellence that we won't be stopped. Well, there's a lot that we can learn uh, really about life from that principle. John Piper says this, you don't have to know a lot of things for your life to make a lasting difference in the world. But you have to know a few great things that matter. The people that make a durable difference in the world are not the people who have mastered many things, but who have been mastered by one great thing. Now, in this text that we just read, we're going to see some things that it's really crucial for us to understand if we're going to understand Christianity or living the Christian life, and something that we really need to be mastered by. First of all, let's, let's check out the miracle that occurs to, and let's just sort of walk through what's, what's happening here. The Bible tells us in verse 5 
that Jesus saw a large crowd that was coming toward him. So the context of this is that Jesus and his disciples had gone away to a remote place. It was on the the northern end of the Sea of, of Galilee. It's an area that today is called the Golan Heights. And at the time, it was a very remote place, and, and they chose it for that reason, because it had been a, a busy season of ministry, and Jesus knew that he and his disciples needed to get away and relax and refresh. But what happened is that word leaked out that he was in that area, and so thousands of people began to descend on that area where Jesus was. And even though, really, he and his disciples had meant for this to be a retreat, all these thousands of people there, and and Jesus had compassion for them. And when he finished teaching them that day, it was late in the day, these people had come from some distance on foot to be there, and and he knew that they were, were, were hungry. And so he turns to one of his disciples, Philip, and he says, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Now, Jesus says this sort of tongue-in-cheek because he knows uh, there really are no places in that area to buy bread. Jesus really is not seeking information from Philip. He's not really inquiring about the food purchasing options in the area. He knows really there's no place to to buy bread. What he's doing is explained in verse 6, and it says he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Jesus knew there was no bread in the area, no place to buy bread, and and he also knew what he was going to to do about that. But he was testing Philip. Now, when God tests us, he he never does that to harm us. He never does that to, to make us trip up or cause us to fall. He does that to to strengthen our faith and to teach us how to stand. And in this case the test that he's giving to Philip is that he wants to see, if, is, if, is Philip going to see this situation just through human eyes, just through what would be humanly possible? Or is he going to, to trust in the God who makes all things possible? Well, in this case, Philip did not pass the test. <laughs> Philip flunked this test because he answers Jesus, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. Uh, a, den- a denarius was a day's wages, so he's talking here about like eight months' wages in that culture, and he's saying, you know, even if we could buy bread in the area, eight months' wages would not even be enough for each of these people just to get a, a, a morsel to eat. He doesn't think about what, how Jesus could possibly intervene in this situation. He's just calculating what would be humanly possible. I think this is a test that God gives us sometimes as well. And, and, and the test is, you know, are we just going to see a problem or a challenge or a situation through what we could do about it, how we could manage the circumstance, or... Are we going to turn to God and, and trust in him? Well, at this point, um, another disciple steps up, Andrew, 
And he says to Jesus, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Now, when Andrew says this, he's really almost talking facetiously. I mean, it's 20,000 people there, and it's like Andrew was saying, well, okay, here's this, here's this kid, and he's got, they, they were actually the Greek word that John uses for fish, they were tiny fish. The loaves weren't even what we would think about as loaves. They would have been like five little pieces of grilled flatbread, basically. And it's almost like he's, he's speaking facetiously and saying, oh, okay, well, maybe we could feed 20,000 people with, with, with this. The boy is, we usually think of him, if you're familiar with this story, a lot of times we think of him as a little kid, but the, the word that John uses for boy actually could was probably a, a boy that was in his teens, and we don't know if he just happened to be there or if he heard some talk about food and, and stepped forward with his food. But if he did that, that was the right thing to do. Because in any situation that we face, the right thing to do is to, is to bring it to Jesus. <laughs> because we never know what remarkable thing he might do with it, as he does in this situation. So Jesus says, have everyone sit down. And what happens next is amazing. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. He begins to give it out, and it just keeps coming and coming and coming and coming. And when they had eaten their fill... He told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. So this conversation has morphed from a discussion about how could we possibly get each person a bite to picking up 12 baskets of leftovers from the ground. And the message here that Jesus is sending is that I'm enough. I'm more than enough. I'm more than enough for you. He's going to say later on, as he sort of explains what has happened, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He's beginning to explain the meaning of what has happened. So, Let's, let's unpack that a little bit. Jesus has performed this miracle, and then he begins to explain the, the meaning of what he's done. And really, there are two messages in, in the meaning of this parable. First of all, satisfaction is found in Christ. After he won his third Super Bowl, Tom Brady, the quarterback for the Patriots, was interviewed on 60 Minutes. And the interviewer, Steve Croft, was talking to, to Tom about his, uh, his life. And, and Tom Brady stopped at one point and he said, you know, this can't be all there is. So I've won three Super Bowl rings, yet why do I feel like there's something greater out there for me? And maybe that's because there's a part of each one of us that really nothing on this earth is going to be able to satisfy. And maybe that itself points to something. 
C.S. Lewis, in his classic Mere Christianity, said, Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there's such a thing as water. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Which is exactly what Jesus is getting to here in in verse 35. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. In other words, if you're looking for ultimate satisfaction in the things of this earth, it's not going to come that way. You see, Jesus was able to create bread on the spot because Jesus is the creator. And you and I are meant to live. We're meant to find our satisfaction in a relationship with our creator. Augustine put it like this, You have made us for yourself, O God, and our hearts are restless until we find our rest in thee. Satisfaction is found in Christ. Second, security is found in Christ. Jesus, as he continues to explain what's happened here, says in verse 37, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Jesus says all are welcome to come, and not only will I save you by my grace, but I will also keep you by grace my grace. Now, as the story goes on in, in chapter 6, what happens is that after the miracle, Jesus leaves this area in the Golan Heights in the northern part of the Sea of Galilee, and they, they cross over and they go down to the, the town of Capernaum, which was sort of Jesus' home base of operations on the Sea of Galilee. And what happens is that the crowd that's just been on the receiving end of this miracle they hear that Jesus has, has gone to Capernaum. And so, so once again, they come after him. But, and Jesus knows why they're doing that. And he, and he says, it says when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me, not because you saw signs. Signs is John's word for miracles, okay, in his gospel. Jesus says, you're seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. You see, this is a culture that, unlike 21st century America, they weren't exactly awash in food. And so for them to have uh, full stomachs and for it to be free on top of that, you know, hey, that's, that's pretty cool. You know, we, we, we want that to happen again. And so they come after, after Jesus, and Jesus knows that, their motivation at that point is that they, they want to be fed again. And as we've already seen, Jesus did have compassion for their physical need. But Jesus knows that they have a far deeper need than, than their physical need. They're, they still don't understand the deepest part of, of what has just happened, the, the grandeur of what has happened. Our family was in New York City a few weeks ago, and I was at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. And they do a really good job at this museum 
of, of explaining the context of the, of the masterpieces. So you'll walk into a gallery and there'll be a whole wall full of, of Van Gogh paintings. And beside each painting, they'll have a card that explains the, the context. They'll, it'll tell you uh, something about the artist, what the situation was in his or her life when, when they, when they uh, painted the, the painting. And so I'm a reader and a history guy, and so I was really interested in those cards. I like to know context of what I'm looking at. So I found myself really attracted in going up and reading all these cards about the paintings. But then, you know, I had to remind myself, you know what? You don't go to the Met to read cards, you know? And I had to just kind of like step back and just let my eyes soak in the grandeur of what I was seeing. And see, at this point, they've been fed, and they think that's great, and they want that to happen again. And they're really missing the point of what has just happened. And so Jesus says to them, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. Now, the important part is the last phrase. Jesus says that he will, he will give this to us. Uh, you know, this is not something that we can, can earn. It's something that comes as a gift. But see, we're not wired to think that way. You know, most things in life, in order to have them, we have to earn them. Um, and so what happens is that they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe. <laughs> that you believe in him whom he has sent. Because you see... Christianity is not about us working our way up to God. It's about God coming down to us. Christianity is not about us coming to God and presenting our achievements to Him. Christianity is about us coming to God with, with empty hands and receiving a gift. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 2, for by grace You've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Romans 3, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. No matter how many good works we do, the Bible says that we're still sinners in need of a Savior. Now, the good news of Christianity is that a Savior has been provided because Jesus Christ lived the perfect life that we can never live. And he went to the cross and he paid the price for our sins and rose from the dead so that we can be forgiven and so that we can have eternal life and be made right with God. Second Corinthians 5.21 says, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. It's a gift. So, isn't there anything for us to do in this? Well, yeah, believe. <laughs> believe. Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. But notice here that Jesus says that what we're to do is to believe in him. It's really different to believe in Jesus than to believe stuff about Jesus. 
I believe stuff about George Washington. I believe that he was the first president. I believe he commanded our troops at Valley Forge. I believe that he lived in Mount Vernon. Okay, but I believe in Jesus. And that means that I don't just believe that Jesus was born in Bethlehem and died on the cross and rose from the dead. To believe in him means more than that. It means that we entrust our lives to him. It means that we make a faith commitment, that we place our lives in his hands. It's sort of like, you know, you could, you could study aviation, you could research the safest airline, you could, you could go online and get a ticket, you could go to the airport and check your bags, you could walk down to the gate, but unless you get on board, you have not flown. At some point, you have to get on board. You have to, you have to trust. Place, your, place yourself on that plane and trust that it's going to get you where you need to go. To believe in Jesus doesn't mean that we just believe stuff about Jesus in our head. It means that we trust him. It means that we rely completely on what Jesus has done for us to save us, to forgive us, and to ensure our eternal destiny with him forever. Now, there is no more secure place to be than when we put our lives and when we put our eternal destinies in his hands. And here's why. Jesus says in John 10, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Now, what, is, what does that security do for us? First of all, it frees us to live for God from our hearts. It, you know, if, if salvation comes as a gift, and we've already been given that, we've, we've already been given everything because of what Christ has accomplished for us, then we're not trying to gain anything from God anymore. We're not trying to earn our acceptance with God anymore because God has already accepted us. He's already given us salvation. And you know what that does? That frees us to live for him from our hearts. We, start, we want to obey him because we love him. Not because we're trying to earn anything from him. Not because we're afraid he's going to strike us down if we mess up. No. We, we want to live for him because of what he's already done for us because of how much he's loved us. We love him and we want to live for him. We want to obey him out of love from our hearts. What this security also does is that it frees us to really love other people. You know what? If I already have been given everything that I need because of what Christ has accomplished for me, I don't have to focus on myself anymore. I can focus on you. I can focus on other people. I can truly love other people because I've already been given everything. I don't need to gain anything any, anymore. Everything significant has already been given. And see, what that does is that frees me up to focus on other people. Now listen, this is how the gospel, this is how the good news of Christ changes our lives. This is what happened to me as a 17-year-old, my senior year at NSA. Because I had heard a lot of this stuff growing up. 
But in May of my senior year in high school, I got on board. I had heard about the bread of life, but that day I tasted. And that's the invitation. The psalmist says in Psalm 34, 8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the, the good news of Christ that is offered to us. We thank you that it comes to us as a gift. We know that, that nothing we could ever do could, could possibly earn your salvation. Um, but you have come to us. You became a man. You lived the perfect life we could never live. You died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, rose from the dead. And that offer of freedom and forgiveness and salvation is available to all who will turn to Christ and trust in him. And Father, I don't, I don't know where everyone is spiritually in this room today. I know that you do. And Father, I pray that you would work in hearts, open the eyes of hearts to see the beauty and the love of Christ and to trust in him and begin to experience what a relationship with you means. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a moment, we're going to sing a, a song. And um, if you're here today, you've got questions about um, Christianity or uh, you want to be a part of this church family, as always, um, you're invited to come. Let's stand together as we sing. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12: To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with him. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor 
at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.